Welcome to episode 7 of the Point Heads Podcast, the practical guide for the casual reward traveler. In this episode, we cover how two-player mode and small business credit cards are powerful ways to diversify your credit card portfolio while keeping your credit score under control. Still waiting for it. I check the mail every day, but I haven't, I, they haven't delivered it yet. We, we had a snowstorm in Oregon, so there's a chance that it got delayed. Uh, like the last three days, we've had ice and like two inches of snow. And they probably mailed it from Ohio, so it probably got delayed on that side too. Yep. <laughs> Have you put any more thought into the other credit card you were thinking about? Uh, not yet. I guess the thing I thought about is like the Capital One is a pretty good card. You get the 2%. But the Chase, the thing we're getting, the Chase Freedom Unlimited is also like a great everyday card. Mm-hmm. So it kind of opened up the question of, do we want a more specialized card first? Like since our kind of general need is already handled by the Chase Freedom Unlimited. Yep. So it's kind of still an open open question there. <laughs> cool. I, I know we want to take advantage of um, some, we want to take advantage of something besides just the Chase Freedom Unlimited when we get like a new water heater, but yeah, still, still open to figuring out what that card would be. Nice. So we've mentioned a couple of times about playing the two player game and you and your wife are an excellent candidate to be doing that. And you, you actually pretty much already have been, it sounds like where you have a set of credit cards and your wife has a different set of credit cards. And that's basically all that the two player game means is that especially when we weren't really paying attention at all, we would sign up for a credit card. Generally, my wife would have a better credit score. So she'd sign up for the credit card and then add me as an authorized user. And what we didn't realize is that that actually makes a hit on both of our credit scores. Because anytime we spend a, make a purchase, we both have the same credit limit and that purchase goes on both of our credit scores if we have the same credit card as, with one person having it and the other person being an authorized user. So the two-player game basically means that one person can have a credit card and then the other person can sign up for a different credit card. Like it sounds like you guys have been doing and it actually helps optimize your credit score a little bit because if you make a big purchase, it doesn't hurt your wife's credit score. So you can kind of plan that way and say, Hey, I'm going to put the purchases on my account this month because you're going to sign up for a credit card. So we're going to optimize your credit score, make it look good for this month while you sign up for your card. And then when you put your purchases on your card, then I'll have a better looking credit score because you're always making the same amount of purchases between the two of you. So it makes sense if you don't physically both need to have the card at the same time, you just have one, one person have the card in their name. And then both of you are are essentially using it for online purchases and things like that, where you don't physically need the card. So that's, that's the two player game. And then the benefit of it, the other benefit of doing that, as we mentioned, is that now you can start referring each other to the same cards, because if you're not an authorized user and you're not, you don't on your credit report, you don't have any indicators that you have access to that same card, then your wife can refer you to that card. And it's just like referring a friend or any other person to that card. And she gets the bonus or vice versa if you refer her. And then you get the sign up bonus, she gets the referral bonus. So it's another way of kind of double dipping like we talked about last week. Yeah, I think I think we did try. It didn't work out for us uh, this time. But for the Chase Freedom Unlimited, I tried to see if my wife could uh, essentially send a referral to it. <laughs> yeah. But it turned out we couldn't get like the same offer that like was equivalent to what was online. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like you guys have been doing it the right way. The other nice thing about 
at least the three of the four big credit card companies that we've been talking about make it very easy to transfer points between two people in the same household. Chase, you mentioned that, I think you mentioned that you tried transferring. I don't know if you said you tried transferring between the two of your accounts or just between cards with the same account. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did cards in the same account. And okay. then I looked online and I saw, it seems like the process for account to account is pretty straightforward too. Yep. Like, yeah. So Chase has the only restriction that it has to be someone from your household, um, which is as husband and wife, it's pretty easy to justify that you are in the same household. And then the, the two other ones that are very easy to transfer, Capital One, which is the other card that you're looking at, so relevant. Capital One, you can actually transfer points to anybody, but you have to, they, they don't have a good, easy way to do it online like Chase does. So you actually have to call them. So Capital One has no restrictions. You can just basically send your miles wherever you want. City is in the same boat, except they have a little bit stricter criteria that after you transfer points, they have a cap on how many you can transfer, and then you have to use those points within 90 days. So again, those those three, Chase, City, and Capital One, it's great for this two-player game where both of you guys can be racking up points. You don't have to be worrying about who's getting what points and which account, um, because when it comes time for you guys to use them, then you can start combining those points to book the trips that you want. The one that we have been talking about that is very strict and not good for that category is American Express. You cannot transfer your points at all. So any, if you guys have an American Express card and you're sharing, you can't say, I've got 50,000 points, you've got 50,000 points, let's book this 100,000 point trip. You can't do that with American Express. But you, there's potentially ways around it if you do the transfer partner. So you could potentially find a way to transfer to the same hotel account or the same frequent flyer account or something like that. Uh, but they're definitely the most strict of the four of them. So you have to hope that a secondary um, reward program lets you kind of marry the two. Yep. So yeah, so for the, this next card that you're looking at, really, you guys don't have to be thinking about it too much. But another thing to consider is that in the two-player game, there's rules like the Chase 524, where you Chase will only accept you if you have less than five credit card applications within the last 24 months. Every other bank has similar kind of criteria of like you can only have so many applications within 90 days or within 180 days, or you can only, you know, have so many cards total. And the two-player game kind of lets you double up on those. So for instance, you just applied for this credit card. Maybe it's your wife's turn to apply for the next one. Or maybe you come up with strategy of this year, I'm going to apply for most of the cards. Next year, you apply for most of the cards kind of kind of thing. Um, so it gives you guys a lot of flexibility in terms of when you need a credit card or you find a good credit card that's out there, you guys have the opportunity that hopefully at least one of you is eligible to be getting that card. Gotcha. Yep. That makes sense. So then the next thing I want to talk about is, in addition to the two-player game, another way we've mentioned a little bit about business cards, but we haven't really dug into it. So I thought today would be a good time to talk about business cards. And I know you have a business, so I thought it might be, um, it's it's kind of, it sounds like a very niche category of, you know, who who's eligible to have a business card, who even has a business um, but I thought it might be interesting to kind of tell your story about your business and how it came about in the mindset of like this muddied waters these days between what's a hobby and what's a business and kind of what makes you transition from hobby to business. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I guess I can give jump into a little bit of background. So I know um, we we like to work with each other. And at one point, I know you, you've had a couple... Um, kind of entrepreneurial ideas and kind of engagements with, with people. And we're both software developers. 
And so I was interested in getting into it and we wanted to essentially work together and having an LLC kind of provides you certain protections. Um, essentially, it allows you to protect your, essentially separate your business assets from your kind of like personal assets, right? So if like, for example, like an LLC, like if something happens or a lawsuit happens, um, yeah, I don't lose my house essentially because <laughs> the LLC is a different entity than, than me. <laughs> yep. And so that was kind of the idea there. And so I, I started, I ended up uh, creating an LLC so that I could work and kind of be a subcontractor with you and uh, do it in a kind of more formal, formal channel. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting with, with COVID and the government kind of acknowledging this gig economy all of these freelancers and all of these people doing these side hustles that are maybe not necessarily the main income, but definitely something that helps people survive. And the fact that they had, you know, this, this new unemployment benefit just for the gig economy, was kind of eye-opening that there are a lot of people that are kind of figuring out that, you know, having these hobbies and we should, I, we should have a disclaimer that not, neither one of us is an attorney or not tax advisors or financial <laughs> advisors. So don't, you know, take anything that we say and just go run out and do something. But I think it is interesting, you know, if you are in that place where you have a hobby and maybe that hobby makes a little bit of money every now and then, and then you are interested in going from hobby to business and you kind of relate to this conversation, then maybe it's worth going to talk to a lawyer and tax advisor or CPA and figuring out, does it make sense in your situation? And is this kind of business entrepreneurship, something that is worthwhile for you. So yeah, you mentioned we kind of did it because we wanted to work together and it was easy to, to do it that way and separate our, our personal assets. My college roommate has always told me that uh, he's worried I'm going to make Skynet in some day. So I'm pretty sure if I end up making Skynet that I <laughs> wouldn't be covered in those limited liabilities, but there are a lot of benefits from having a business. And really the main thing, if you want to separate, is my hobby a hobby or is it actually a business? The indicator is, is there a motive for profit? And even if you have a hobby, you know, hobbies can range from anything, just collecting things or, you know, becoming an expert in something these days with the, the gig economy and, you know, how easy it is to share your knowledge and share your, uh, your passions. There's so many different ways to profit off of your hobbies that if you do have that motive for profit, it makes a lot of sense for you to go ahead and take that next step and figure out, can I turn this into a business? Um, because, you know, even if you're just collecting something right now, at some point, you're going to probably want to be able to sell that. And whether it's selling it to get cash for something else or selling it just to get cash to collect more of the stuff that you want, you know, that there's opportunity there for you to profit as you're doing stuff that you love. The benefits of actually turning that into a business is that, as you said, you can stay organized. You can have organized finances. You can separate your personal expenses from things that are actually related to those passions that you're excited about and you're spending your time on. Um, and then also you can, it gives you that opportunity to set your goals. So if your motive is profit, you can look, kind of take a step back and figure out how do I actually turn this into a profit? And if you understand, you know, my hobby is actually costing me this much money. Now, you know, to make a profit, you need to actually make that much money back. And it's kind of eye-opening, at least when I started my business, you know, just having space in your house, how much that actually costs you in terms of, you know, if your mortgage is X number of dollars and your office is 10% of your house, that means your mortgage and the business cost of having that space in your house is actually 10% of your mortgage. And that's a pretty big number depending on what your mortgage is. 
you know, that could be significant that, you know, maybe your, your hobby is nowhere near that. And you got to figure out how are you going to actually cover those costs? Or maybe it's eye opening of, you know, maybe I don't need that much space. Maybe I can use that part of my house for something else. Yeah. You can move into a closet or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, the, the benefits of, of formalizing that and having a business is that, you know, when you organize your finances that way and you figure out, you know, my hobby actually costs me this much or my, you know, my hobby turned business cost me this much and you're keeping track of that. Now you can actually have tax benefits. And one of the weird things with the, the tax act in 2018, it helped so many people and, and it lowered taxes for so many people, but people that were actually very passionate and had these really hardcore hobbies actually got uh, hurt by this tax act because you can no longer use expenses on hobbies as a deduction. A lot of the itemized deduction, um, people that were using their homes as part of their hobbies can no longer deduct that. But if you have a business, now it's deductible again. Um, so there are a lot of incentives of having a business in terms of financial and, and taxes. So if, if you're kind of in that boat where you're like, hey, you know, I am collecting stuff or I am an expert and I'd like to share my knowledge and I'd like to learn how to make money from that, then definitely go consult someone and then the rest of this podcast is hopefully much more relevant. And I can stay, I'm obviously I've, I've done it. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but it, it really wasn't very hard to set up a, like a one person LLC, uh, which, which, which is what we've used. That's worked pretty well. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, especially when you, when you talk about points and miles, there are a lot of blogs in the space that will encourage everyone to go get a business or just apply for a business card saying that they have a sole proprietorship uh, and an LLC is definitely a, a better way to do that. Um, it's a better way to formalize yourself and justify that you actually do have a business if you fall in this category and then it makes it easier come tax time and everything else to justify. Yes, I am spending my time and spending my energy to trying to have that motive for profit. It always comes back to that motive for profit. And are you staying organized enough to show that, you are trying to make some profit somewhere. You don't necessarily have to make profit. It could be, you know, five years down the road, but if you have a plan and you can show that you have that plan, then it's much easier to get approved for business cards. It's much easier to make those uh, benefits realized come tax season and come, you know, with the rest of your finances. Interesting. So business cards. So it, I guess, yeah, I'm interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Again, one of the benefits of having business cards, as we mentioned, if you if you do have a business, one of the things that you want to make sure you're doing is keeping those business expenses separated from your personal expenses. And that's something that we struggled with for a long time. I've had my business for, oh gosh, it's been almost 10 years. Um, and I just started it because uh, you mentioned we're, we're both software engineers and there's always people coming up to you. Can you do this? Can you do this? And it, and at some point, my dad was like, you know, if you're going to be doing all these things, you want to be protected. You don't want to send someone some software and then have it blow up and create Skynet or something. And um, so that's how my business got started is just listening to the advice of my dad. But one of the things I've always struggled with is come tax season, I've always had a really hard time figuring out what were those expenses that were related to my business because it is very software oriented. But that means, you know, the internet that I'm using for my house is also internet that is being used for my business every time I log in and things like that. And so this is the first year that we actually uh, listened and applied for business cards to help separate those expenses out. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's been very beneficial. 
just because, you know, now come tax season, I can look at those business cards and figure out. And one of the other things is we mentioned, like you're paying your mortgage on your house, the size of your home office relative to your house is how much you can deduct from tax season. Um, but one of the nice things about a business card is even though only 10% of it is business related, that expense is a business purpose. And so that expense that you have on internet or on your other utilities that you're partially using for your business still has a business purpose and is eligible to be used with that business card. So you can put everything that's just related to your business in the same spot so that when it comes for tax season or comes for managing your finances, you can look and say, this is how much my business actually cost me. Maybe it wasn't the full 100% of that expense, but I know you know it was 10% or it was 20% of that expense. And so it's a, it's a great way to stay organized that way. And then the, the other thing that you get from it is obviously by having those finances separate, you know, the expenses that you have for your business, you can find a business credit card that maximizes those expenses and the rewards back that you can get from those expenses. Interesting. So, so I guess one thing I'd ask is like, um, in terms of the, like, I know a lot of the personal rewards that I've been looking at are like grocery stores and like stuff like that, that are personal. Would business cards have, have you seen them generally have different things? For example, like office supplies are like, for example, like a target that might not be what you'd see on every, um, every personal card. Yeah. And there's, there's a wide range. There's, there's business cards that will give you rewards for grocery shopping. And I guess, I mean, it doesn't make sense for a computer programmer to do, but I guess there are some businesses where maybe that, I mean, maybe you're going to get coffee, but the, but you know, shipping and advertising costs, um, Mm. internet costs are big, um, very common among the business cards that are available, staying kind of in that transferable point category of the the three or the four big ones again with Chase American Express Capital One and City Chase American Express and Capital One all have a line of business cards that allow you to get those transferable rewards and when you have those as a small business those rewards go in the same account as your personal credit cards so it's another way to, for you to kind of top up on those um, so with Chase they have the ink there's a set of cards that are under the the ink branding, I guess. Um, the ink preferred is very similar to the Sapphire preferred. And then there's two cashback cards, the ink unlimited and the ink cash. And the ink cash is very much like the freedom where it has some, I don't know if they're rotating categories, but it has 5% categories. And then the ink unlimited is very similar to the freedom unlimited where it has the 1.5% back on everything. So that's, that's chase American express, uh, again, has cards that are equivalent to the personal cards. So they'll have a business platinum, a business green card, a business gold card. Um, And then they have a a business blue business plus card, which is actually an incredible card. It's a no annual fee card and it gives you two X back on everything. So it's similar to what you would get with that, that capital one venture that you're talking about, but the American express are generally more valuable than capital one points because you can transfer them to much more, many more partners. Um, and then Capital One has the Spark line of credit cards where I think the the Spark Miles card w- might be the same as the Venture where you get two, ba- two X back on anything. And then they have other ones. I think it goes down to 1.25% back on everything. And then they have a couple cashback cards along the same line. Uh, so, the, so those three, and then City doesn't have any business cards 
that give you thank you points, but they have a bunch, all of them have a bunch of co-branded cards, which we haven't mentioned yet, but co-branded cards are basically a card that's sponsored by one of those banks that is specific to an airline or hotel, um, or sometimes even businesses like Amazon or Costco. So yeah, those are, those are all the different types of business credit cards. So it's, it's very similar. They're very, uh, they're not exactly re related to the personal cards, but they're very similar to the personal cards that each of those credit card companies offer. So it's another way that you can kind of double up on those and, and still keep your personal and business accounts separate. Um, so I should say, okay. yep, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, I was just going to say, I like to hear that there's options that are, uh, have no annual fee. Cause I know yeah. like as a, uh, I know when I started my LLC, it's like, I'm earning maybe on the order of like a couple hundred bucks, like maybe even up to like a, like very little money per year on it. And it's like, I'd want to essentially to kind of maximize on that. You don't want to have like a lot of kind of like fixed costs that you pay every month. So sounds yeah, cool. Absolutely. And one of the things that's, I guess, one of the drawbacks of these business cards, especially for small businesses, like we're talking about today is that these cards are typically designed for larger businesses. So they have oftentimes higher signup bonuses. I think I've heard that Chase, a lot of people have been using that kind of sole proprietorship and kind of using those loopholes and applying for Chase business cards specifically. And Chase seems to be cracking down. And one of the ways that they might be kind of cracking down without actually denying people is they've really increased the minimum spend for their signup bonuses recently on the ink cards and the ink line of cards. Um, so for instance, their no annual fee card, it used to be spend $3,000 in three months. That's kind of the the general uh, low level spend for a business card. And now I think it spends $7,500 in three months. Um, mm. So it's, so I think it's, it's one of the ways that they're like, don't apply for this card unless you're very serious about spending with this business. Um, so it, it seems like kind of that's a way that they're kind of filtering out the the smaller businesses and focusing more on larger ones. So what, what's the, you mentioned minimum spend, like what's the minimum spend uh, in the case for like your business cards? Um, so the two that I've signed up for, I've signed up for a Hilton business card last year when we thought we were going to Hawaii and we wanted to rack up as many Hilton points as possible. And that's when I bought the computer. Um, and then this year I signed up for now that Hilton's not there. We thought, I thought I was going to close the Hilton business card. So I wanted to have a replacement. And so I signed up for the Hilton, uh, not the Hilton. I signed up for the American express green card, the green business card. And it was the same. It, it needed $3,000 in three months. And so it, we just kind of planned it. Like, as I mentioned, uh, you know, all of our utilities, all of our internet costs, all of our you know, things that are general expenses for the house that are related to kind of my office space. I, you know, we timed it up so that I was paying for that. Our security, you know, I mentioned the most expensive things we have in the house are from my office down here. Um, so, you know, security obviously is related to my business. So we signed up a lot of those expenses so that we could pay them all within those three months and cover the $3,000 that we needed in it. Like we barely made it. It was really rough. I mentioned <laughs> one of the things that we didn't plan for is some of the expenses that are like yearly recurring expenses or like once a year expenses for us that are kind of bigger purchases. We planned on using American Express and we didn't think in ahead and think, oh, those people don't even accept American Express. And so it mm. kind of put us into like halfway through and we're like, okay, we have this next purchase coming up and that'll be enough for my business card. And then we find out, oh, 
they don't accept American Express. Now we have to figure out, do we even have another $1,000 in the next two months that we're going to have that are related to my business? Or do we just give up on the sign-up bonuses? And we figured out we've like just barely made it. We made it by like $10 in purchases that were related <laughs> to my business. And so we got the bonus, but it was it took a lot of planning. And it was, I guess, one of the lessons learned there is that make sure you know where you're going to spend your money and do they accept the credit card that you have that you want to spend with it. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, that's... That's everything with business cards, I think. Oh, did I mention, I guess one of the biggest benefits of having the business card is that it doesn't show up in your credit score. Also, as you mentioned, if you have these big expenses that are related to your business and you put them on your personal card, it's going to make your credit utilization go up. And as you saw last week, when your credit utilization goes up, your credit score goes down and it hurts your ability to apply for new stuff. By having those business cards and putting those big expenses related to your business on your business card, none of that shows up in your credit score. So it, there's like a, a business version of a credit score that they can look at and kind of ask you about, um, but it's, it's completely separate from your personal credit score. So anything that your business does or spends or needs in terms of credit has no impact on anything else that you'd need for your personal credit stuff. Oh, that is a nice benefit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> Yeah. So again, I want to stress that it's not, you know, I don't want to be sounding like everyone should go get business credit cards, but for us and at some point for you, probably when you do have these expenses rolling in, it does make sense probably to have a business credit card. And when you do have that business credit card, you can kind of think about how it fits into that portfolio that you're building up of which credit cards that you have and how you get rewards from those credit cards. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll, I'll definitely take that. I've this is an analogy with just personal credit cards, but we've definitely had like with tracking our purchases with men, it has been really nice essentially having dedicated cards for specific things. Cause then it's like, instead of having to kind of manually be like, Hey, this thing is, or usually it does a pretty good job of kind of categorizing what your purchase was, but like having, being able to go, like if this purchase was made on this card, it fits this category, just makes it a lot easier to kind of organize and track your finances. Yeah, absolutely. And it also makes it easier if you, one of the things I always get nervous about with having so many credit cards is losing track and it's so easy for someone to steal your identity. But if you see a purchase of, let's say the freedom card and something other than Costco coming on that freedom card, you're like, whoa, wait a minute, that's my Costco card this month. <laughs> that was not my purchase. <laughs> Whereas if, if you don't have those credit cards and, you know, if you know, say it's a grocery store purchase and it comes on your freedom card. You might not think twice about it until you think about, oh, no, no, that's my Costco card. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know if we talked, to, we probably hit this in early on, but like I know debit cards versus credit cards. Like from my perspective, credit cards are just a lot more secure than yep. debit cards. Um, every time I've ever had to like refute a payment or even they have automatic fraud detection. And when they detect things, like I've never had an issue with resolving a, like, for example, a transaction I don't think I made or, or like, I think I, I know people in my family have definitely had like an instance where like a transaction was made or their credit card was stolen. I know like there's definitely been those scams at like gas stations where essentially they, they steal it and that's happened before. And I don't think anyone's 
at least that I know that's been using credit cards has ever really been hurt by that. Um, they're able to kind of refute it or automatically have it <laughs> yeah. kind of handled. Yeah, it is interesting. I don't have enough of the historical background to say uh, too much in detail, but I know at one point credit cards and debit cards were very much equal in terms of your protections. And that's why maybe in the early 2000s, maybe even late uh, 2000s, you could get rewards back by using debit card purchases. And now if you look at using debit cards versus credit cards, you get all these rewards with credit cards, but you don't get any sim anything similar with debit cards. And that's because there were laws passed um, in terms of how much protections you had with debit cards versus credit cards. And debit cards got really marginalized in terms of you couldn't get a lot of incentiv incentivizations to use your debit card. And then because I don't know if it, you know, chicken or the egg, which one came first, but as you can't get incentivized to use it, you also lose the protections that come with using it because you lose those margins that we talked about every time you purchase with it. Um, you don't get as much margin, so they can't give you as much protection or benefits for using that card. And so with the debit card, I think it's something like you have, if, if there's a fraudulent purchase, you have something like 48 hours, maybe 72 hours, just a very small window that you can refute that purchase before you are liable to pay for that purchase. And with a credit card, because everything comes in statements, you have, you know, magnitudes larger time to find out that something went wrong with your credit card and still not be liable for it compared to a debit card. And so in terms of like the actual physical card, most of them have the chips these days. Most of them are actually as secure as each other. But in terms of the protections that you have, if something goes wrong, you have a lot less protection with the debit card. Yeah, I was wondering why that happened. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm going to read about that after this too. Hopefully I didn't say anything too wrong or else this won't even show up on the podcast. <laughs> no, it sounds good. I'm just interested in the history. Yeah. Our, our fact checkers are probably going to bleep out a bunch of stuff that I just said. <laughs> Let's see, coming up next, at some someday when the snow starts going away, you'll be able to get your card. And then at some point it starts making sense to kind of figure out where we're going to be traveling and which credit card might make sense to help you get there to, when it comes time to pay for your water heater. Yeah, I, I'd say that that's pretty much where I'm at. Another thing, I guess, to, to keep everyone wanting more, you mentioned in the in two episodes ago at this point that uh, when we were talking about all the different card categories and all the different offers that are out there, having a central place that you could track all of that stuff rather than having to sign in everywhere. And it turns out there are some services that can do that. And we have kind of been behind the scenes looking at some of those services. And I think next week might be a good time to talk about those to help people stay organized in those categories. I like that idea. Actually, I got the referral. So yeah, definitely interested in looking at that. And episode seven is done. If you have questions about today's content, find us on Twitter at PointHeads or send an email to podcast at pointheads.com. Everything discussed here is the sole opinion of Mark and Charlie. We are not receiving compensation for any of the products or ideas mentioned in today's episode.